Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Scran, the podcast passionate about Scottish food and drink. I'm your host, Rosalind Erskine, and on this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by our BK co-founder, Ian Sterling. Ian and his brothers, John and David, took over the family farm, which overlooks Lunan Bay on the east coast of Scotland, where they decided to make a range of spirits that have a field to bottle ethos. Along with master distiller Kirsty Black and her assistant Christian, the Arbiki team have created a collection of drinks including vodka, gin, rye whiskey and the world's first climate positive spirits range, Nadar. They're some of my favourite drinks so I'm keen to speak to Ian about this innovative business and when we can visit the soon to be opened visitor centre. Today I'm joined by Ian Sterling, who is one of the co-founders of Arbiki Distillery up in the northeast of Scotland. Hi Ian. Hi Roslyn, how are you? I'm fine, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Cannot complain. Um, it's a lovely sunny day today, so let's enjoy the sunshine. Yeah, we're not in Glasgow. <laughs> there you go, sunny east coast, there you go. It's nice to see you and nice to properly meet you. We've been in touch and I've known all about what you've been doing for quite a number of years now. Um, and I've mentioned that some of the drinks you make are my favourite. So for anyone that doesn't know the story, um, can you take us right back to the start and how our BK came to be? Um, and it w- was this sort of sort of development in your life something that you always wanted or is it one of those things that kind of just came about? Because I know that you and your brothers were doing other things before you all came together to take on the farm. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, I mean, back as far as you like, I mean, our family farmed for 400 years, so it goes back at least that, because that's as far back as records go. So our family have been farming for 400 years, probably in terms of the evolution of the distillery. We all worked on family farm from a very young age, much younger than you can these days, but you know, that gave us a hands-on experience of growing crops, cultivating crops, working with animals, and that kind of husbandry or that field to bottle um, or field certainly element of that. So we then we then um, did the education piece. And I think, I mean, it started to crystallize when uh, my brothers David and John and I had a marketing business and we were working with some drinks businesses, including William Grant. And one client came and asked us to create a brand and for a drinks Thing that he wanted to have and we did that and then it was can you go and source the liquid can you put it in a bottle please and we did that and I think and then we signed an NDA so he took that off and marketed this 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 drink to the world but I think the penny dropped with us then that we had a marketing business we were growing all the main ingredients on our family farms for distilling anyway so whether potatoes wheat and barley were already there we had a building on one of the farms that we could use for a distillery. So ultimately we were missing the distillers and the distilling kit. And having done an MBA at Harriet Watt University, I knew where the Institute of Distilling and Brewing was, you know, world-class Institute of Distilling and Brewing. And obviously that's where our master distiller, Kirsty Black and Christian, um, her number two came from. So we have two Harriet Watt graduates um, come into the distillery 
And key thing with that was for the aim, uh, while creating the brand and developing the story of the narrative of the business, my brother John and Kirsty built the distillery. So they bought in the kit, set up the kit, and the business really launched, um, our Beaky Distillery did at the start of November in 2014 when we launched Tati Bogle, the first Scottish potato vodka. So that was that's the short version of a very, very long story. And when you were and had your marketing business, were you still based where you are or did you all kind of go away from Scotland and come back or have you always sort of been within the northeast? Uh, no, very much, very much away. Uh, Mum and Dad were very keen for us to get the best education we could, to travel, to go away, to learn, to work in other businesses. And, you know, we had a farming business to go back to, but actually they probably encouraged us to leave the farming business and go out to the world and do what we wanted. And so like some brother, John travelled the world, worked for KPMG as an accountant, worked in the Caribbean with them. I worked for White and Mackay, Jim Beam, Diageo in the drinks business, doing covering 56 countries when I was at Diageo. So good drinks background there. And then David travelled within Africa, actually lives in America now. So we've all been away. And you know, I think maybe not when we first started in the UK or certainly in Scotland, but certainly now when we're very much an export business, that network and that, and that, those travels very, very, very much helped. And we also have different skills in terms of the skill set we bring to the business. So it's very much complementary. You know, we choose as brothers to work together. And was there kind of an expectation from your family that at least one of you or, you know, some of you would come back to take over the farm? Was that always kind of there in the background that you knew you were going to have to do it? Yeah. Yeah, well, no, my our eldest brother, Andrew, went to agricultural college. So Andrew came home, did the farming thing, and um, he also has his own stir-fresh business, so prepared uh, produce business that we all helped set up and then, um, he took that one. In reality, he wanted to do that, so we gave that to him. And and he's not involved in the drinks business because you can't do everything. But at the same point, um, you know, farming was key to the family. We knew we'd inherit the business because we're very much into legacy businesses, and our Beaky is very much a legacy business. So, you know, brothers, myself and my brothers are the custodians of the latest a generation of a farm. But we will pass those farms on to the next generation. We're expected to do that just as we'll build the distillery business and that's for the next generation. So it's very much a, it's not a short term project. You know, we're planting oak trees that take 50 years to grow. So I won't be here when they come to fruition, but it allows us to have likes of oak to build casks. And so your thinking's much more long-term, much more decades and centuries, as I always describe the whiskey business, because we're in both the gin, vodka and whiskey business. So it's a much longer time scale and, you know, as a family business, you take you tend to take longer term investment and longer term decisions because you don't have shareholders who are looking for a less longer term return on their money. I was going to ask how's your life changed since setting up Arbiki, but if you were already in the drinks industry, I'm assuming it's maybe not changed too much. <laughs> yeah, possibly when we started, I probably did less travelling than I was when I was working for Diageo because you know, I was across international now. I'm kind of back to that with export. Um, and no, it, it, it's welcome back to the best industry in the world, the drinks industry and associated suppliers and everyone else. It's, I can't believe I left the industry. I'm, I was mad. I went away and did some other work for Volkswagen Group on contracts when I finished at the issue. But, you know, it's, it's an amazing industry, incredibly collaborative, amazing people working in it. And, 
you know, as a Scot working in that global industry, we are seen to be, you know, some of the best distillers, some of the best mixologists. There's some great talent there and, and a great global network. Um, so I mentioned the field to bottle ethos. Um, so for anyone that doesn't know, could you just, just explain what that is? And also, how is it different to other distilleries? Well, very much. I mean, the, the field to bottle, and I think, you know, the accepted norm when we were starting off was farm to bottle. But we were very much, we have to go back to the field because actually, not only is it about crop and coming from a farm, but it comes from a specific field and all the fields are different because they all have different soils. They all grow differently. So actually the ingredient, the crop that you're growing in it is always different. And even within a field, there's, there's, you know, there's wet patches and dry patches. And now we're getting very technical and we're getting to farming here. But in terms of growing crop, you know, it, it creates variety. And we were very keen to do that. But in terms of field to bottle, very much grow, distill, mature and bottle on a single site in a single estate uh, approach as we you know we kind of looked at the wine industry and went they've got it right they've got a unique terroir we have a unique terroir of Beaky because we're up at Lunan Bay you've got great sunshine you've got great soils and if anything we lack water um, which is always quite hard to explain to people from the other end other side of the world who thinks it rains here all the time and only snows but we also grow chilies which also makes them laugh but you know, that's a, that's a nice thing about field to bottle. And I think it's also a revival going back to traditional ways of distilling, because in the old days, they always distilled the crops um, that were grown on the farm. Whereas now a lot of the modern distillers either, you know, they'll tend to buy in grain neutral spirit. So they'll buy neutral spirit from somewhere else or add botanicals and create gin with that. Whereas we're doing it from crop to creating basically gin white spirit and then we'll add botanicals to make our gin so it takes a lot longer it's a more expensive process but it means you control everything from start to finish until it goes into the bottle um, and you've got quite a few um, drinks in your range so when you're thinking about like a new launch or something that you want to develop what would you say is your biggest influences probably crop um, and imagination i think crop because you know, we basically, when we started, we started with Tati Bogle. So you're taking potatoes, you're creating a gluten-free first Scottish potato vodka. We then created Kirsty's gin, which using that potato vodka as the base. So you've got a gluten-free gin there. We then created Har vodka, which was distilled with wheat. You're then creating Axe gin using that vodka. So you're naturally pairing vodka with gin. And Nadar, you know, which we'll talk about more later, was obviously pea-based, but that was Nadar vodka to make Nadar gin. And the same with, you know, we were obviously growing, as I mentioned before, barley. So we are, you know, growing our own barley, distilling our own single malt whiskey. We chose to revive growing rye in Scotland so we could distill it. So we distilled the first rye Scotch whiskey as well. So usually, usually crop and what's capable of being growing. And, you know, we'll talk maybe more about the grow tunnel later but you know we're growing chilies and lots of other crops that are not normally or plants that are not normally grown in Scotland and you know I mentioned for the chili vodka I always get a laugh particularly in the hotter countries when we start talking about growing chilies in Scotland and they kind of look as if I'm, I've lost it but you then show them pictures and go actually do we do grow it because the growing element is probably the most important because that's where the flavour is coming from. And is it just so with things like the chilies is it just 
you you know that you can or you'd like to try it grow and grow these because you know you've got the the capacity and the weather and all the rest of it the right conditions and so you just go for it and then once you've got them think okay well we'll use these in drinks now I could I could say that, but um, Kirsty, the master distiller, may shoot me for saying it because distilling them is incredibly hard. And you know, by now I take for granted what our distillers are capable of. But both Kirsty and Christian are amazing distillers. Um, what they've achieved in the six years we've been in existence is amazing in terms of what they've distilled from the variety from strawberry, fresh strawberry vodka to the chilies. It's obviously, the Kirsty's gin named after Kirsty herself to the rye whiskey. You know, it's, it's, I think it's knowing what we can grow, trying to grow. So it's both revival in terms of bringing rye back to Scotland, but also trying to grow chilies or trying to grow, you know, we're growing lemongrass or coriander. We're growing our own juniper. We've been doing that for, I think that's about six, heading for seven years now. Um, we'll continue to investigate, try, and I think, Kirsty's a plant scientist as well, is obviously really interested in that type of challenge and seeing what can be done. And, you know, the Nadar Vodkin gin is a good example because it took five years um, in terms of her PhD of developing that project. As she points out, it didn't take her five years, it was done over five years. Because um, she went, it didn't take me that long. I'm going, well, it did over those years, but, you know, the partnerships you had there with James Hutton and with, with Aberty was, was incredibly important as well. So I think working with, we're very lucky to have experts like that on our doorsteps. So James Hutton, probably one of the best crop institutes in the world, and the likes of Professor Graham Walker at Aberty University and the food and drink element there. Incredible to have those talent to work with, which again drives you on. And then, you know, we're working across the world. So it always gives you new ideas. We're willing to innovate, we're willing to try. And I think our ethos is trying to push the boundaries and also being a disruptor at the same time because we're a small business. We'll never take on the big guys, but we'll have our own niche, we'll do our own luxury, we'll do our own specialisms. And you know, two key things for us, we wanna be one of the most sustainable distilleries in the world and we want to distill one of the best whiskies. And I think we can do both. And I think we're on the journey to do both. So, and part of the sustainability is um, the Nadar range, which you've mentioned. So, that's uh, correct me if I'm wrong. The world's first climate positive started off with gin, and then it's now vodka. Is that right? Yeah, we did. We did in terms of distilling. We did the reverse. We started with gin, and it it was the world's first climate positive, carbon negative. So it takes 1.5 kilos or saves 1.5 kilos of carbon out of the atmosphere. The magic in terms of the science is that it puts natural nitrogen into the soil. So our soils improved by growing peas. We're taking carbon out of the atmosphere. We're making the soils better. And, you know, we're then distilling a gin that the likes of GQ was raving about in America recently. Um, and we're then taking the pea uh, residue and feeding that to the animals. So our cattle are then recycling that. There's also potential, I imagine, for pea protein products as well in terms of, you know, other food products coming out the other end as well. So there's a whole circular economy there. And also as farmers, it lets us use less synthetic nitrogen because the peas are doing the good work first. So it's win, win, win. And, you know, that was done with James Hutton and Aberty in terms of collaboration, but then the carbon assessments were done with um, Trinity College Dublin 
and Bangor University. So very much a science-based um, project that, you know, Kirsty was there at the core, making sure that we eventually got to um, Nadar Chin. And, you know, amazing to have produced the world first. Really, really proud and really proud for her because, you know, a lot of hard work went in there. Well, I've already said how good a distiller I think she is. I think she's amazing. Yeah, no, it's, it's, you can see in our work, it's all really good and really innovative. And it's been nice to, must be, be nice for her to have the opportunity to work with you and, and have that free creative freedom and like all the opportunities to go off and do what she's done. Yeah, and, and I think, I mean, quite, 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 you know, openly, that's why she'll be where she is. Because, you know, she very much runs the distillery as her own. We give her the rein to do it. And actually, she's incredibly creative, but also she's also delivering. Kirsty and Christian, you know, as 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 a team, have delivered amazing, you know, amazing products. There, it's you no, know, it's not very often that a gin maker from, say, the east coast of Scotland, or if I was even be more blunt, a tatty farming family from Scotland, are selling their gin across Whole Foods in the U.S. You know, we're rolling out across Whole Foods in the U.S. just now, or California right now, and you know, they were calling us for the product, not the other way around. You know, and it's one of the world's great retailers or green retailers, that's a real privilege and a real honour. So um, I think, you know, all credit to, to Kirsty, to Professor Graham Walker and Pete Ionetta at James Hutton, you know, great work. It's fundamentally taking the best of Scotland to the world. And it's, um, I was going to ask you how, how your drinks have been received, you're, you're exporting across the world, how they've been received, but if people are phoning you for them, then it's obviously going very well. <laughs> We're, we're, we're very lucky. We're working with um, Aman Resorts, um, who are probably the best resort business in the world. We're working with them just now, and there's some really, really serious luxury players because they've got beach resorts, so they need to be into sustainability. So something, whether it's the vodka or whether it's the gin, the dar hits that target every every time because it's a proper sustainable spirit. It's not we're not replanting anything or doing anything else. It's you know we're growing to create a climate positive spirit and it's a really difficult thing to do it's a really difficult thing to replicate so you know hence why it took so long it's not one of those ones you can just go have one of those please <laughs> well done Kirsty. Yeah. i was going to say is it something you would hope um could be picked up by more in the industry but if it's quite difficult then it's probably not very likely to be replicated it is it is, it is something that, that could come it depends you know all comes back to Going back to what we spoke about in terms of grain neutral spirit, it depends where that spirit's come. It depends how it's made. You know, there's 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 a whole evolution, I think, or or there's a sustainable spirits movement that's coming, just as the sustainable movement is coming across the world, and particularly with COP26 coming up. You know, Scotland, the UK, the world is going to be very much focused on sustainability, the climate, and actually action that seems to be the word is what are we doing let's stop talking about it and let's do it so i think we've got the right product right time um and that's a that's a nice place to be but i think i think but there is potential for others doing the same and you know we we will have looked when we started we looked at other distilleries so someone like I was speaking at a conference recently and james from chase was there so chase that was recently sold to Diageo in terms of field the bottle distiller and, you know, just complimenting them going, you know, we learned things off of them when we first came into market because actually they were tatty farmers from um, the East Coast, or sorry, West Coast of England. So we were learning off of them and, you know, you always learn off other people. 
and we like to collaborate so never say never and uh, so we're obviously all still in lockdown but you are planning to open a visitor center at some point quite soon i think um so what can customers expect when we can all come and see you I think, I mean, it's it's very much, for me, it's all about experience. Um, it's coming to distilling and experiencing what we're doing. So I think, you know, we've spoken about field to bottle. I think it's very much coming and seeing how we grow things on the farm, how we're distilling, seeing that, tasting again, tasting the range of spirits, whether it's the sustainable ones in terms of the Nadars or the field to bottle products. Um, I think, I mean, there's there's so much to see and do there because no one else has been allowed on site. So actually, you know, it's been our customers in the main who've been there. So it would be great to bring people in, you know, the view down to Lunan Bay in terms of one of Scotland's best beaches is an amazing location anyway. So in terms of Scotland, you're talking what we, an hour away from Aberdeen, 40 minutes from Dundee, a couple of hours from Glasgow, an hour and a half up from Edinburgh. So we're fairly central in terms of people be, being able to come up to a farm, come up to a distillery and just see what we're talking about um, and actually just tasting. And actually, it would just be nice to bring people on site, get them booked in, get them seeing and and also just tasting the difference in terms of, you know, things like I mentioned, the strawberry vodka, you know, we growing strawberries and it's not strawberry flavor. It's proper fresh strawberries. It's a really difficult product to distill yet again. You know, they persisted, the, the, the deadly Jew persisted over a few years to get this right. And it's really, really hard. I remember when they were trying and, you know, it's just like a, a nose and a taste of summer. So I think if people can come and see, go into the grow tunnels, see what we're growing, how we're growing it, you know, they'll be, see the cattle, they'll get the bigger picture in terms of field to bottle and how that's different to most other distillers. And also, and also, you know, we're a we're a, a startup six-year-old business. You know, we're we're a baby business. You know, lots of these, I wouldn't call them competitors, but the bigger players have been there for hundreds of years. So we've we've scratched the surface. We're, and we're and we're getting there. But like anything else, it'll be it's a big change for us to have people on site, but also just to welcome people in and they can actually come and see and touch and and smell. Country smells. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, which would be nice, uh, having been in Glasgow, stuck in Glasgow, it'd be nice to actually get out to the country at some point soon. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it's, it's, I think, something we're all looking forward to, and it'll be really good to be able to just go, right, get people booked in, let's start telling them the story, um, come and see, see what we're doing, what stage we're at, because obviously we're continuing to develop, continuing to grow in terms of the business, and, you know, we're all very much about letting people see exactly what we do. Because you know where you go and kind of there's a peel, there's a field of potatoes down the front of say the distillery, that's what's going to come in as ingredients for that vodka, for that gin, and there's a palette of curses going to whatever Germany, whatever country is going to next. So it's it's you know the full process is there in one site, which is quite rare. Yeah, it is, and anyone who's ever been to a distillery will will sort of realise when they get to see you how rare that is, because you only ever really get to see one part of it. Absolutely. I mean, I, I've obviously worked in distillery business for a long time and, you know, it, it is usually it's just a chunk. You're not seeing malted barley. You know, you might see the malted barley and whiskies, but you're not seeing gin, vodka and rye whiskey and single malt whiskey in one site, but also fields of stuff dotted around the distillery because, you know, we have a fairly large farming business as well as a distillery. So 
there's lots of ingredients being grown and obviously we're growing as i said before juniper there's a lot more trees going in it's a never-ending project and uh, there's so many elements to it and you know probably the latest um we, we won the first phase in the, the government's green distillery project. So we're looking at hydrogen power for the distillery. There's so many things going on that sometimes you forget about them because the, the team is working very hard. Everyone's working hard, but also, you know, we're covering the country. We'll probably be in 20 significant countries in terms of export very soon, um, including the likes of China, obviously mentioned the US, but, you know, all corners of the world. Um, which is kind of nice and we work with some, we're very lucky to work with some great companies and some great bars and some great people. It's a great people business. Well, speaking of bars, do you have a favourite drink that you like to make with uh, any one particular of your spirits or is that quite a difficult thing to answer? It's always about mood. I think it's always about mood, you know, likes of, there's times I'll just like a rye. I love love a rye whiskey. I think I'll always remember tasting the two-year-old spirit of rye very, very early doors and just being amazed how, how nice it was as, as a young whiskey, but, you know, rye slightly different to traditional barley whiskey. Um, but, you know, something like that as a dram is always great. G&Ts are always good, you know, um, Axe and Ginger I love. Um, the AK's gin was named after my dad, so I'm naturally biased. Obviously, I say I love Kirstie's when Kirstie's there, but... Um, AKs was named after our dad. Our dad, unfortunately, um, passed from MND, so he never saw the whiskey bit, but something like that's very special to me personally. Um, but I think, you know, we're very lucky. We've got a very adaptable range of spirits there, whether it's gin, vodka, the rye, or the malt whiskey. So choices are choices. Um, just depends. And uh, you, so you've mentioned dry whiskey, which um, was the first dry whiskey to come to be launched in Scotland for was it over a hundred years or something, wasn't it? It was definitely nearly nearly two hundred, nearly two hundred. And how was that received? Because was correct me if I'm wrong, but was there a sort of an issue at the time where it, you didn't know if you could call it whiskey because it's not malted barley? Is that right? Yeah, it's single grain whiskey. Right. Yeah. Technically, it's single grain whiskey. I think. I mean, the industry is obviously changing. Um, there were probably soon at least six or seven rye whiskies coming from Scotland. So there's, you know, um, the one who the one who we know it's nearly 200 is the work that Ian Palmer did at Inchderney Distillery because Ian has been pioneering that as setting up his new distillery. You know, I'm showing my age now. I worked with Ian many moons ago when I worked for White Mackay and Ian ran in Bergordon Distillery. So I've known Ian Palmer for a very long time. But there's others, you know, who are working away on rye whiskey. And, you know, I think it's a great innovation for Scotland, but it's not really an innovation because as you alluded to, it's a revival. You know, it's something we used to grow rye as farmers. We used to grow rye in Scotland and we also used to distill it. And, you know, it's there in the historical records. So like anything else, um, the terminology and and the rules of whiskey run by the Scottish Whiskey Association will continue to evolve. You know, the market evolves and just as Lindors will have their variants on whiskey that they've done, you know, Drew and Helen at, at Lindors, the industry continues to evolve. It's a close community. You know, we're all collaborating, we all talk, and I think it's a great place to be, but it's also nice to bring almost a new category into the world of whiskey across the world. Um, 
particularly when you've got markets like North America where rye is so strong or the likes of Denmark or Germany or Poland. Um, and as farmers, it's really, really challenging to grow your own rye. You know, my brother John does the growing and we've tried winter rye and spring rye in terms of seasons and you'll never grow spring rye ever again because that was a disaster. But so it'll always be winter and, you know, we're, we're growing Arantis rye variety just now. And it depends on the fields. It depends on lots of things. But I think it's just nice to revive something from tradition because I'm guessing as farmers, particularly on the East Coast, we probably moved away from growing rye to growing barley for making whiskey with. Um, because, you know, your tonnages of barley, you'll get way more barley per acre than you would do rye. But we went back to growing rye specifically to make rye whiskey. And at that time, we didn't know anyone else was doing it. So we were completely doing this in the dark. And the NPD process, our new product development process, was a call with my brother John going, I've managed to get my hands on some rice seed. Do you think we should grow some? Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. What's that for making rye whiskey? Yeah, let's do that. So there had been some elongated, long process. It was like, let's just go for it. So actually, I'm answering the question of what you alluded to earlier on about um, risk-taking or innovating. We'll just go and try it. And, you know, we ended up creating the first one, which was kind of nice because we didn't really know anyone else was doing it. And then, like Savine Palmer came out and spoke about it, but then we went, actually, we've already done it. And we released the two-year-old as a whiskey spirit um, in aid of MND. As I mentioned, our father had MND and we wanted to do a fundraiser. So it was a natural one to go by the way we're doing this. And also just tip our hat to him because we knew at that time he would never see scotch, he'd never see barley whiskey. So um, it was a kind of nice thing to do. Nice. And um, so you sort of mentioned um, you were in the drinks industry, you went to Volkswagen and then obviously you set up Arbiki with your brothers. If you hadn't done that, do you reckon you would have come back into the drinks industry anyway because you said it's such a great place to work? Yeah, I, I think so. I've, I've always I've always wondered about that one because because it's such a brilliant industry and it's it's one that, you know, having been away for a while, you come back and the same faces are doing much the same things, you know. Um, who's a good example? Scott McCroskey, who runs Edrington, for example, worked with me, White Mackay, and Scotty would have been working in finance when I knew him at White Mackay. I had I got headhunted in Diageo, and I remember coming back in and looking up on LinkedIn, and here he is as global boss of McAllen. You're like, wow. Um, but people you've known from when you started, it's a kind of nice industry that way. Or, you know, who will I speak to? Like the Stuart Castles up at McAllen, the the distillery experience up at McAllen and stuff. And there's people you know and they've kind of moved around the distilleries, but they're all still there. And I was just, I use a good Scottish word, daft enough to leave the industry. You know, it's, you know looking back, you go, why did you do that? It was a good opportunity at the time, but you know, it's very rare to be in a, an industry that's all about where you come from, being world-class and also being available in every single country in the world. You know, there's no bar in the world that you can't walk into and you'll see Scotch straight away. You don't have to explain who you are, what you do or anything else because it's already there. You know, it's a bit like golf or something else. You know, St Andrews will always be St Andrews. Scotch whiskey is very much one of the world's the world's luxury drinks and always will be um and, and you know it's partly our responsibility to keep it that way and what can you tell us about your um single malt scotch whiskey that you're working on it's sleeping 
I feel like whiskey's always sleeping. <laughs> we, are, we are looking at an 18-year-old as a launch, so we are giving it a long time to uh, rest, relax, and, and be the best it can be. Whether, whether we release it before then, don't know, because it's all about taste, and that's, you know, that's a decision for us in another 10 years' time. Um, I think, I mean, the most important thing is it's, we know where, which fields it was grown in, we know which barley varieties it was grown of, we're not casts it's going in, you know, we're in control of so much of that provenance. The interesting thing is we're a Highland whiskey because we're north of Dundee in terms of the Highland region, but we're also at Lunin Bay where you're getting, you know, the winds coming across the North Sea from Denmark uh, and lots of salt. And, you know, it's a Highland whiskey, but quite south in terms of Highland whiskies. So it'll be really, really interesting in terms of that influence on the whiskies. Plus, we've got our own Angus uh, water from the Angus Hills. So we're kind of lucky in terms of location wise. Um, and I think, you know, we are working and, and well, we've gone back to growing heritage barleys as well. So we will have our own barleys from the past. So when our father died, we um, went back to his farming book and looked through the, the barleys he used to grow. So almost as a homage to him, we've gone back to the seed bank and we're growing those barleys. And we will then create unique uh, whiskies using barley that no one else has. So long-term projects, lots of work involved. Again, our smart distillers and my brother John working away on projects like that. But you know, you're trying to do unique things with the unique elements we're blessed to have been given. You know, we're lucky to have the farms. We're lucky to be able to go back to that history of our father's work over his life, and then. I guess we can call some nice whiskies after him. <laughs> He'll just tell us they can't drink them. <laughs> he was a great whiskey man, so um, it's kind of nice. It's, it's one of the things you can do with a family business. It, you kind of just, you know, give tip a hat to someone or the, or the element they've put into your business. And I feel like, especially with I mean, more more often with gin, it's the kind of stories that people are buying into, isn't it? It's the botanicals, it's the story of the land, it's the where it's come from. So you're getting that with all of your products across the board because of your family your family business. Absolutely, yeah, we're we're, we're lucky. We are fortunate that way. But then you know, it's a simple story. It's all about growing and distilling, but also I think distilling well. And I think that's you know, I've already said about our distillers. You know, we gave them good kit to work with. They're in a good location. We have an amazing farm team that grow great ingredients and, you know, all credit to them as well. There's, you know, there's key elements to that. We're not going, we bought this spirit from someone, we're going to, re, you know, put some botanicals and redistill. You're going, actually, it's a long-term process of growing and nurturing crops because, you know, we've got experts and we're very lucky as a farming business that guys, and mainly guys working on the farming business who have worked 30, you know, 20, 30 years with us. So it's long-term, but really, really skilled people. And I think, you know, that's where, that's that's what gives me the most pleasure is seeing people like that who are working on a farm, so proud to have their own distillery because most farms don't. And so they're, you know, they're, they're more than chuffed to have, be growing these ingredients that are going into the pot and become, you know, spirits that are then being sold on the shelves of Whole Foods in California. So your your whiskey's still got a while to go, but do you have any sort of new launches coming up anytime soon or is there anything new you can tell us? 
Um, we we with the Highland Rye with our with our rye whiskey, we'll have an expression every year. We recently launched 1794, um, which was a homage back to Arbiki actually having a distillery in 1794. So it's the reason we called Arbiki Arbiki. It's named after a farm. It's named after a location. One of our farms because we were working on the brand and looking at names. And then my brother David in who lives in Connecticut, goes, you'll never believe this, but um, our big had a distillery in 1794. So rather than create something, you're taking something that existed and, you know, the history the history exists of that distillery. John Dempster, who was the distiller at that time, is buried at Inverkeela Churchyard just down from the distillery. There's a bit of work still to do in that, but I know where he is because one of his relatives in Canada was in touch going, by the way, do you know this? And we didn't. Um, so that's amazing. You're always bringing the history back to, to life again. So, you know, we'll continue to release um, rye whiskey variants. Um, in terms of the other projects, or sorry, other products, probably not just now because, you know, we released Nadarjin just before lockdown um, and we released the vodka during. Um, and so we're almost going back, as things reopen, you're almost going back to a relaunch of both of those. Plus, we'll also be taking those products into markets like um, we're launching in Germany this month, we're launching in Singapore this month, China's in pipeline, and I mentioned um, the US, so that will be into California and Florida, Illinois. So there's a fair bit of expansion in terms of new product to new territories rather than just new uh, products for us as a business because we have a fairly large range considering how young a business we are. Exciting times. Um, so just to uh, step away from drinks just now, um, what restaurant are you most looking forward to visiting after lockdown? Because we're going to be getting out there soon. That's a really difficult place. <laughs> All of them are customers. Um, I live in Edinburgh, so I would probably... Oh, and that's difficult. That's really hard. Um, I live very close to Escargot Bleu. Uh, I would quite like to go to Wedgwoods because I, I get on very well with Paul. Um, I have a soft spot for Andrew Fairley because, you know, before Andrew passed, I got on very well with Andrew and Andrew is a real inspiration for us. It was one of the best days ever. And Andrew came up to the distillery with his team um, to have someone so, 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 uh, what would you say, so humble, but so gifted in, in what he did, have him give us the kind of big take in the box. And um, it always, you know, I, I don't... You know, I love all the bars we do, but it's always amazing to go to a restaurant like that, to, you know, two-star Michelin restaurant and just see your product there alongside, you know, what Stevie and, and Dale are doing up there. Just think that's always special, but, you know, I love all restaurants. I think right now we all love all restaurants because we've not been for so long. <laughs> it's, it's, it'll just be, I think, I think the key thing is we'll actually enjoy them so much more because there's so many things you take for granted and, you know, the same goes with going to favourite cocktail bars or just the bars generally is, you know, me trying to make a cocktail and actually an expert professional doing that, I'll appreciate it so much. You know, whether it's Negronis or anything at all, you're just going, trying to make it yourself and someone else doing it who's an expert. Same, same with the restaurants. It'll just be such a pleasure. Um, and just uh, one last kind of question before we get on to the um, quick fire round. If you could only eat one ingredient or one dish from Scotland for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? 
Would it have more than one ingredient in it? Oh. If it's if it's a dish, it could be like you know fish and chips or whatever. But if it or one particular ingredient, probably probably Cullen's skink actually. Nice and simple, very Scottish, and obviously as a as a red lifty coming from our broth, I've got a bit of you know you've got to get a bit of fish into dish like that and tatties for being a farmer. I was thinking about it the other day, so you've got a, a farming and fishing community in one dish. Um. Okay. So. Just we've got a couple of sort of quick fire questions, uh, well rounds. Um, the first one is desert island drinks. So if you could only take three drinks onto a desert island, what would they be? My favourite single malt whiskey. I'm not saying what it is. <laughs> <laughs> the anticipation there. <laughs> what else would I take? Can you give us? Can you give us a clue? It's Scotch. Well, <laughs> but wait, uh, whereabouts from? Uh, Highlands. Okay. Although I might, I might be tempted to an island. I might, might swither on that one. Um, I would think definitely champagne, um, and and actually, actually water, actually water. I think, I think uh, everything goes back to water, including all our alcohol. But actually, having a really good classic Scottish water to drink would be amazing. Act of simplicity. I'm a I'm a simple farmer's son. There you go. And actually, not many other people have said water. It's always usually three alcoholic drinks, and I th- I I think to myself, you would need water though, if you're not going to be hungover. <laughs> I might I might mention Mr. Bar's drinks as well, but never mind. You can't really have a hangover on a on a, on a desert island. And if you could invite three guests to a dinner party, whether they're dead or alive, who would they be? That's a really difficult one. Trying to think, music. Who would you have? Definitely have a singer of some sort. So it'd have to be someone like Aretha Franklin. I would think someone like Muhammad Ali, because I think he would cover up both, and he can also sing. And who would be the third one? Oh, oh, I know who. Richard Patterson. Oh yeah. Because <laughs> he would keep us amused too. He could do a big tasting for us. Richard. Richard, Richard, Richard did my induction at White Mackay to uh, whiskey and everything else. So someone like that. There you go. Back to, back to alcohol. I've just recently seen the video of him do a tasting and he's like, th- like sort of flicking stuff on the floor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He always, always likes to flick some alcohol. Either, either Richard or actually I'll, I'll go half and half or Charlie McLean. Charlie would be a good one too. Yeah. <laughs> Because Charlie's a bon viewer, tells great stories. Richard the same, you know, they're both of that ilk in terms of the drinks. And amazing professionals, but amazingly good fun and, and just masters of their craft. Okay, thank you. And just the last one now is called My Life in Food. And it, this is like quick fire questions, so don't think too much about it. Whenever I'm hungry, I think of... Food. Comfort food for me is... Chocolate. My favourite childhood dessert is... Ice cream. My food heaven is? Chocolate ice cream. My food hell is? Tomatoes, fresh ones. So you're not doing any of them then? Well, we probably are, but I'd still like them. (laughs) Thanks to Ian for an informative and insightful chat about his business. I'm keen to visit when I can and find out more about their drinks, especially the whiskey. Thanks also to you for listening to this episode of Scran. If you enjoyed it, please rate us and subscribe. You can download Scran wherever you get your podcasts, but for exclusive, interactive and immersive content, you can download the Entail app. 
Scran is a Lodgeball production, presented and co-produced by me, Rosalind Erskine, and co-produced, edited and mixed by Morden McIntyre.